So I've come to believe that when we dedicate our attention and our time to reading Scripture, we could treat it like we're reading music. Think of it this way. Each word is a note, and every verse like a measure. And when you put enough notes and enough measures together, typically you end up with a song, or at least you hope so. And as the songs begin to blend together, they start to become something like a symphony or an orchestra with many songs being played together in one longer beautiful performance or even a concert. It's the same with Scripture. As we read multiple chapters of one book or many shorter books in a row, it's almost like we're reading what I call the symphony of Scripture. And when we do that, we are in tune with what God is saying to each of us from a wider viewpoint, as opposed to just focusing on the individual notes or measures. There's no song in just a couple notes or a measure, but rather when you look at the whole sheet of music or all of Scripture, it becomes something more. When we only focus on the notes, it might not sound as good, but for any musicians in the room, you know you can sometimes just feel it. You just know what you need to play, of course, following the leader and the conductor. But just as we read Scripture, as we read it and we really lean into what we're reading, we embody the words of the text and we follow our heavenly conductor, or God, the words begin to mean something so much more to us. They become so much more beautiful. And today we are going to hear Scripture read in a powerful and unique way. We're going to, I'm sharing this idea of Scripture being like a symphony because we're going to hear a lot of verses be read to us in a fairly short amount of time. Today we're going to look at the entire chapter of Romans 8. You see, Romans 8 has been called the single greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Many longtime Christians and perhaps even some new ones might say that this chapter is almost too well known. Many scripture or many liturgies and prayers have been drawn and created from around its words. I'd, I'd venture to say thousands, if not millions, of sermons have been preached on Romans 8. And I might go on a limb and say, I bet you a three-month sermon series can be preached on Romans 8 alone. And today, I venture to do the impossible and preach on it in 20 minutes. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) The question becomes for me, but perhaps it is for you, why? Why would you do that? If there's so much good stuff in Romans 8, why would you try to cram it all in one sermon? And the answer is because as I was reflecting on my first full year of ministry here at Cypress Lake, I recognized that I talked, I preached, I prayed, and I taught about the Holy Spirit a lot. When I think about the sacraments of baptism or Holy Communion, I invoke or I invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. In the songs we sing, in the scriptures we read, we hear about the Holy Spirit. I don't think I've ever said a prayer that I don't ask the Holy Spirit to join us. The Holy Spirit is so important in the life of our faith and in our church, yet we hardly ever talk about what it means to have the Holy Spirit be a part of our lives. So today, as we read Romans 8, my hope is that we'll walk away knowing what it means to live a Spirit-filled 
life. So let's hear the first few verses from Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds on things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. There are those in the flesh who cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead shall also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, who are not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with your spirit, and we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. In those verses, Paul divides people into two categories. The first is those who let themselves be controlled by their sinful nature, by their human nature. And the second is those who follow after the Holy Spirit. You see, when we follow after our sinful nature, it leads us to things like selfishness and greed, anger, sadness, and hopelessness. But when we follow after the Spirit... It leads us to peace, to happiness, to loving others, and to hope. And the reality is that we would all be in this first category, chasing after our own sin and our own human nature, if Jesus hadn't given us a way out. 
And once we have said yes to Jesus and committed our life to following him, we will want to keep doing just that, following after Jesus, because his way is better than our way, and his way brings life and peace. You see, to make your life, to follow after the Spirit in your life, you have to choose daily to center your life on God. That isn't a one-time choice when you decide to become a Christian, but rather the path of discipleship and living a Spirit-filled life starts with each and every day, perhaps every moment of every day, deciding that you are going to center your life on God. And how do we do that? Well, one way is we can use the Bible and the symphonies of Scripture to discover God's guidelines for how we're to live our lives. And we can use passages like the one we just heard to reorient or shift the way we view how we're living, how we understand God, so that way we can make sure we're focused on God's Spirit in us rather than on our own selves. So what does that look like? What is an example of how you would experience that? Well, imagine that you're in a trying situation where you have to make a difficult choice. You can ask yourself, what would Jesus want me to do? Now, if you've ever been in one of those situations, you know it's a tough one, but there's usually an easier way out, an easier choice. One where you can just make it, but you have a feeling it's probably not the best choice because... You've got that sinking feeling in your stomach. You've got that tugging saying, I know that would be the more difficult choice and more work, but I know it's right. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. And so when that spirit, when you have those moments of feeling God's presence working in you, you have to follow them eagerly. Don't give in to what might be easier. Do what Jesus would do and trust the Holy Spirit is working in you in those moments. Or you could think of it this way, have you ever asked yourself or have you ever wondered, am I really a Christian? Am I really doing things the way God would want me to do them? Am I really living a spirit-filled life? You see, a Christian is someone who has the Spirit of God living in them. If you have sincerely trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation and acknowledged Him as Lord, the Holy Spirit lives in you and in your hearts. And good news, you are in fact a Christian. And you can be assured that the Holy Spirit is living and residing in you because Jesus promised that He would send the Holy Spirit to dwell among us. And since you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that eternal life, that eternal glory comes through Jesus Christ alone, we will begin to act and behave more like Jesus did. If we have a Spirit-filled life, our daily problems will begin to look different. We will become empowered to serve God because God is working in us and we will become a part of God's plan. God will empower us to do something that maybe we didn't even think we could ever do on our own. And we can only do that through the power of the Spirit. And we receive the power of the Spirit when we choose God daily. Paul tells us in those verses we just read that when we do that, when Christ is at the center of our hearts and our lives and the Spirit is working in us, it's as if we are adopted by God. 
We're a part of God's family. And it's that Holy Spirit speaking deep into our hearts that tells us that we are God's children, even when we don't feel like it, or even when we might not feel like we deserve it. We are God's children. Daily, we must choose to center our lives on God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy with comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the anticipation of God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjugated it, in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption. We also groan within ourselves. Now the ho- in this hope we were saved, but the hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? And now, hope, if we do not see it, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us for the unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, sin has caused all of creation to fall from the perfect state in which God created it. I'll say that again. Sin has caused all of creation to fall from the perfect state in which God created it. The entire world is in bondage to death and decay, and it cannot fulfill its intended purpose because of sin and because of the brokenness in the world, and it cannot redeem itself in its final purpose until Christ comes again in final victory. You see, I think Christians see the world as it really is. It's physically decaying. It's spiritually infected with sin. 
But as Christians, we don't need to be completely pessimistic because we have hope in the future glory. That's what Paul tells us. We are able to look forward to the new heaven and the new earth that God has promised to us. But we have to wait patiently. And we have to have faithfulness that God's new order will will come. And we will live in a world that will no longer have sin, sickness, or evil. A time many of us cannot wait for. But in the meantime, and there's always a meantime, Jesus calls us to a higher purpose than just waiting with faithfulness. Jesus tells us that we need to be a people of action. We need to go and be His hands and feet. And He tells us that we need to not only heal people's bodies and their needs, but we also need to heal their souls. Jesus tells us that we need to fight the evil powers of the world. And when Jesus says that, He names that, yes, in fact, there is evil in the world. And when we have the Spirit of God living in us, we have the ability to fight back. To not let sin and evil and sickness have the last word. But we are able to play a part in that with the Spirit. In these verses, Paul also states that our current sufferings do not compare to the future glory. And and while that gives me great hope, and it should give each of us hope for what is coming We also recognize that there is suffering in the current time. Those words are hard to hear. It's it's not that Paul neglects our suffering, but sometimes, maybe you agree with me in this, when you're stuck in the suffering, it's mighty hard to see tomorrow. When you are in pain, you can't see the long-term game. You can't see what's ahead. You only see what you're enduring right now. And when I read that verse, it's challenging because I know there's people in our communities or our families or people in this room that are hurting terribly right now. We all have experienced suffering in some form or another in our lives, whether that's the loss of a job or a loved one, a sense of safety or security, or even just a loss of control. Maybe we don't have all the answers. And then when I look around the world, I don't, see, uh, I don't have any trouble seeing suffering either. People who don't have enough food, people who don't have a home to live in, people who have no family or support system to pick them up when they fall, people who are stuck, trapped, living in war zones, people who are in abusive relationships, people who are forced into modern-day slavery, the fact that we need a place for young girls who are in sex trafficking in our own town speaks to the sinfulness and the brokenness of the world. There's suffering all around us. And sometimes I feel so paralyzed by the idea that I'm just one person and I can't do anything about it. The problems are so big, God, what can I possibly do about it? Passages like this remind me that we don't have to be the ones with all the answer. God has a plan and God is with us in the suffering. God is with us in the brokenness and working in us to build something new, to make something beautiful. As Paul says, at a place where there is no more death and decay. Paul's words in Romans 8 give us hope for what the future will hold for us in glory. 
And the word of encouragement I want you to hear today is that in your pain and in your suffering and in your distress, the Holy Spirit will help you and is with you. The Spirit of God resides in our hearts if we let Him, and God knows our hearts better than anyone. God knows our deepest needs, and we have to have faith and trust that God is working in us. That God is never separated from us, but rather we separate ourselves from God. God is always there for us and working in our lives, even in those deepest and darkest moments. But we need to live a Spirit-filled life and invite the Spirit in us for God to work. What then are we to say about these things? <clears throat> if God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, <clears throat> or sword? As it is written, Because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? Perhaps some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Scripture tells us that if God would sacrifice His own Son, wouldn't He spare anything else to spare our lives? God's deepest desire is to be in a relationship with us. And a way we can do that is by living a Spirit-filled life. So think of it like this. When you're born... You are made pure and clean. Our lives look a little something like this. No blemishes, so clean and refreshing. But as we grow up and we begin to learn a few more things about the world, perhaps we go to school for the first time, uh, we kind of get into a fight with somebody. You know, we get mad, we want to get back at somebody. Somebody says something mean to us, you know, and what does that do? That makes us angry. And so we try to get back, we get revenge, and we pour some of the hot sauce in our water, some of that anger. 
And then we continue to grow older and are we, we make decisions in our lives and there's always those things we do. We, we get angry without thinking. We say something we wish we couldn't have and we begin to sin in new and different ways. We're pretty good at sinning as human beings. And our water gets even cloudier with coffee. And that doesn't look like the way God wants us to be, pure and clean and holy. But then we also have those, what I like to call secret sins, those sins in our lives that maybe even those we love the most don't know about. Perhaps it's a habit or an addiction, something we just can't shake or get rid of. It's like a sin that keeps agitating us and never leaves us alone. No matter how many times you go to God and say, help me, the sin keeps coming back. It's a lot like vinegar. Perhaps the world can't see it in your cup of water, but you know it's there, and it stinks. And then throughout the course of our life, there's always those dark parts. Some of that suffering we were talking about earlier, some of those dark times where we couldn't even think about tomorrow, things we've done that can't be forgiven by humans. And our lives become completely dark and full of junk. And then you come to church and you hear someone like me say, go out into the world, be the hands and feet of Christ. Share God's love with everyone. You're fired up. You leave church. You go out the doors. You can't wait. You go to share your love with Christ. And what do they see? They see this. They see a mess. To me, that doesn't represent God's love. But what can we do? Paul tells us. Remember this from the beginning of our sermon. Paul said there are two categories. Those who fill their life with the Spirit leads to life and to peace. And those who chase after their own self, their own power, their own might. Those of us who chase after our sinful nature, this is where it gets you. But when you chase after the Holy Spirit, you invite the Spirit into your heart. Let me show you where that gets you. When we invite the Holy Spirit into our life, God begins to work in us. And some of this junk starts to come out of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Those things we couldn't shake for years when we asked for God's help, they begin to be made clean. And you see, it takes a little bit more than one jug to get all of this mess out of here. Because you have to remember, friends, all this sin didn't just come in one day. It didn't come in one week or one month, but rather some of these sins we've been holding on to for a long time. And at one point, our cup is overflowing so much because God's Spirit is working in us. You see, friends, when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, that darkness leaves. Our sins are forgiven, and we have a chance to be made new when we commit our lives every single day to chasing after God. So friends, my challenge to you today is this. You can either chase after your human nature and your sin and have a dirty glass, which is your heart. Or you can invite the Holy Spirit into your lives and be made clean and be made new again. The choice is yours. Let us pray. Oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer, and you sent your son to die on the cross for all of our sins. Your son took our sin on him to the cross so that we can be made anew. And your son sent the Holy Spirit to reside in us, to live in our hearts. God, my prayer today is that we do not squander that gift, 
But every moment of every day, we invite your spirit to be a part of us and to make us new, to make us pure, and make us clean. Amen.